There's a joke about the difference between involvement and commitment that goes like this. If you're having bacon and eggs, you know that the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Actually, commitment is no laughing matter. It's an essential spiritual discipline. We'll see why that is and what it means today on Groundwork. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And Scott, we're beginning a new series of programs. In a sense, it's a continuation or a a part two of an earlier series that we did uh, on the spiritual disciplines. So it's all about those practices or habits that we can inculcate in our lives that will help us to grow spiritually. Right. The Bible calls us to grow uh, in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So growth is expected. Uh, Nobody at the moment they become a Christian or realize they're a Christian or however we come to the awareness that we're a believer in Jesus and in the gospel, nobody at that moment is uh, fully mature. Nobody knows all there is to know. Nobody is perfect (laughs) in their, their living or their morality or their discipleship. We all have room to grow from the Pope in Rome all the way down to the newest believer who comes to Christ on a Sunday morning in the church service. We all have growing to do. And the disciplines, uh, and again, we did do a prior series on this, and now we're going to do about, I think, six or seven in this series. The disciplines are, are, right, as you said, the habits that we inculcate into our lives so that we can live like Jesus and by living like Jesus, grow into Christ, who is our head, as the Bible says. Right. These are all time-tested ways of deepening our spiritual life, of deepening our relationship with God, of actually growing to know God better. In a sense, it's kind of like marriage after courtship. Uh, The best marriages are those in which the two partners come to know each other more and more and grow in their love for one another and sort of walk together. And that that's supremely true of our relationship with God. And what it is not, a couple things that it's not that we should point out at the outset, these are not simply tips for self-improvement. It's right. not like your latest exercise regimen or something that, uh, that you want to get in better shape. They go deeper than that, nor are they ways of sort of earning favor with God or becoming somehow saving yourself. It's not self-salvation. We know that's all about grace. Right. And this is sort of the tightrope that Christians always walk. On the one hand, we do never want to lose sight of the fact that we are saved by grace alone. 100%, 190% Jesus' actions saved us. 0% of our actions saved us. We never want to lose sight of that. And yet— Obedience is also important, and discipleship, as we work out our salvation. In fact, here's from Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God doesn't just save us and then walk away. God, by the Spirit, continues to work in us, Paul says, and that's going to issue in uh, obedience, and it's going to issue in uh, these various uh, disciplines, which and on this program, we're thinking particularly about commitment, which is very similar to one of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, 
steadiness. So this is a result of salvation, not the cause of it. Yeah, absolutely. Even the language Paul uses there in Philippians 2 is important. He says, work out your salvation, not work for it. And he bases it on the fact that God is working in us. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit of God. When anyone who believes in Christ, who puts their faith in Christ, is given the gift of the Spirit of Christ's presence within their their heart, within their life. And uh, so because of that, it doesn't mean, well, then I don't have to do anything. I just sit back. No, because he's working in me, I, I need to work as well. So today, as you, as you just said, uh, Scott, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of commitment, which sounds a little unusual, perhaps. I don't know if you've ever thought of that as a spiritual discipline, but commitment is certainly something we need to work at and we need to work out. And in fact, I think you could say that commitment is the ground for every other spiritual discipline. Right. One of the core things we believe about the God of the Bible is that God keeps God's promises. And that is so very important. And if you ever had a parent or a significant authority figure in your life who didn't keep their promises to you, you know how devastating that is. Children's psyches can really be damaged by parents who let them down. Commitment keeping. <laughs> uh, Lewis B. Smedes wrote a whole book on it about the, the vital importance of keeping our commitments. And what commitments mean, uh, Dave, is what uh, Eugene Peterson once called a long obedience in the same yeah, direction. Right. We, we keep deciding every day. You know, We keep dying and rising with Christ, but we stick to it. Uh, we stick with Christ. We we stick with trying to be more Christ-like. And for all of us, that core commitment is going to come out in different ways, right? I mean, maybe for one person, what that commitment means is they really have to work on that temper of theirs, that they, they are prone to anger. Another person doesn't have a temper at all, but they are rather prone to be prideful and a little snooty and a little taking on air. So they got to work on that. Another, you know, we, we could just go on and on. Right. You mentioned a long obedience in the same direction. I love that title. It's one of Eugene Peterson's earliest books, and it's an exposition of the Psalms of Ascents. There are 15 Psalms, uh, beginning at Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, that scholars believe were songs that the pilgrims sang as they were climbing up to Jerusalem in order to worship on the great festivals at the temple there. And you just think of, it was literally an uphill climb literally, yeah. uh, to get to the temple, and they had to keep going when they were tired. That's what we're called to do as well. I have a friend who told the story of when he ran a marathon a number of years ago. He had a fever just before the race. He had trained. He was a good runner. Uh, he was all set for it. And then this fever hit him, and it broke the morning of the race. He was weak as a kitten. He shouldn't have run, he said, but he decided he was going to. And he said it was just agony. 2,000 steps to the mile, 26 miles. He said that was 52,000 decisions to quit that he faced, and yet he, he kept going one step after another. And I think that's what our life is like, I think, to some degree as Christians. Each day is a decision not to quit, uh, to keep on going. You mentioned the analogy of marriage a little while ago, Dave, and that is a good one. And you and I have both conducted weddings uh, where we've said to the couple all in love and starry-eyed and happy, it's relatively easy to say, I do today, yeah. but you have to say, I do again tomorrow and the next day 
and the next day. Yeah. Uh, you can't – you, you got to keep this commitment over the long haul, including on those days when you're going to really want to quit because it's not quite as much fun as you thought it might be or life uh, deals you a bad hand. But that's what commitment is. That's what God does. That's what Jesus did. And so uh, we want to think about that more, about what is commitment, what can make it difficult, what can we do to keep commitment in our lives. And we'll turn to that next. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose, thinking about commitment on this program, the first uh, in a new series of programs here on Groundwork, looking at various spiritual disciplines. And because we did a prior series uh, on this, Dave, where we did some of the more obvious disciplines, this one will be a little less obvious. Yeah. Um, we're talking about commitment on this program. The next program, we're going to talk about Sabbath keeping, which uh, people probably don't think is a, a discipline, and yet we'll see that it is. Right. But we want to stick with commitment. You were saying earlier, Dave, about the songs of ascent in the in the book of Psalms, of the songs the pilgrims sang as they made their way to Jerusalem for Passover, perhaps, or one of the other festivals. They had to just kind of keep deciding to keep going. And the songs of ascent kept them going uh, because they were so eager to meet with God at God's temple in that holy place. Right. Jesus also, I think, talks about commitment. We want to read one of his very familiar parables, but try to listen to it in terms of commitment, thinking about it in the context of commitment and what might interfere with our commitment to following him. So uh, it's told in several places in the Gospels. We'll read from Matthew 13. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then Jesus goes on and tells the disciples, listen to what this parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it, and this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. So, Scott, as we know, and we've done programs on parables before, usually a parable has one primary point, and that's what you're supposed to uh, 
latch on to and not try to make something out right. of all the details and imagine different meanings. But here, Jesus says, this is actually a little bit more of an allegory where the details do have meaning, as he himself explains it. And he really talks about four different kinds of hearers or four different receptions to the gospel, to God's word, three of which are not good because they're not fruitful, only one of which is good. And you think about the meaning of those details of the hard, shallow uh, ground, the hard-packed ground, the shallow soil, and the weed-choked soil. Yep. And there is obviously something there that in order— to produce that bumper crop, 160, 30 times it was sown. Obviously, the good soil does that by, well, what we said earlier, sticking with it, letting the seed do its germinating. It keeps the growing. Seed, yep, it keeps growing. <laughs> take root. That takes time. You can't hurry up, right? Sort of like, you know, a little kid who sees a, a daisy growing in a garden and, and wants to help it grow, so she pulls on it. Uh, well, guess what? You just uprooted the daisy. Uh, you can't pull on crops. You can't speed them up or hit fast forward. It, it takes time. The other thing that strikes me, though, Dave, about this parable of the sower, and maybe this flips it a little bit from how we usually end up sort of wondering, what kind of soil are you, which is okay. But I also think that when we talk about commitment, stick to the farmer, who is God, who is Jesus in this, shows great commitment. Uh, back in the ancient world, they didn't necessarily have dedicated fields like farmers have today. Fields were located here, there, and everywhere. kind of reminds me about how when you, sometimes you fly into Amsterdam in the Netherlands, you see that they sometimes use the, the grass between the runways for crops or tulips or something. Uh, so you planted wherever you could, but that meant you would get these mixed conditions. A road might run through your field. Uh, there might be a rocky patch that you can't get cleared. But the sower sticks with it and is lavishly generous in throwing out this seed, just ridiculously prodigality. He knows not all of it's going to take root, but he sticks with it Yeah, because some of it will, and it'll be great when it does. But then you turn it around and think of yourself as the seeds. You know, not just four different hearers. Right. That's one possible way to read it. But I think it's more helpful for me to read it as four different experiences in my own life, I can be each of those seeds at different times. Sometimes I hear a word that might be from God uh, telling mm -hmm. me to do something, and I, I just don't want to listen to it. I'm like that hard path. Other times, you know, we might start something with enthusiasm, but when it gets hard, when the sun comes out and it scorches the seed, because the plants, because they didn't have root, we, we just quit. We quit when it's tough. Yep. And other times, we sort of get distracted. Other things in our lives, so many different items and commitments and interests and hobbies and pastimes, they just choke out that good seed of, of a good discipline. So I can be all those things, and I want to be the good ground that produces fruit. Yeah, that's a good point, Dave, that we, we cycle, all of us, we cycle through these soils in different parts of our lives and at different seasons in our lives. But we need that constant through line of commitment, that spiritual discipline of commitment, if we're going to have any chance of more often than not being the good soil. It is work. We go. We talked about weddings in the previous segment. Maybe on the day of your wedding, you can't imagine it'll take work to stay married to this person with whom you are so in love. Right. But the day will come, I guess what? 
it's going to take a little bit of work to stick with your marriage vow because things are going to get tough or you're going to find out something about this other person you didn't quite know the day you got married. It's hard, but that's why uh, you continue um, with your commitment, renewing it day by day. The well-known writer and theologian G.K. Chesterton had a great line once. He said, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found hard and hasn't been tried. Yeah, right. Isn't that the truth? And I love your point, Scott, that the real person with commitment in Jesus' story is the sower, the one who keeps sowing. And actually, the Apostle Paul turns that image around and compares us to sowers at the end of Galatians 6, where he says, if you sow to the Spirit from the Spirit, you'll reap a harvest of life. And then he goes on to add, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So what we're committed to is sowing a life of good works and helping others and serving others. Ultimately, that's a tremendous spiritual discipline that will lead to blessing not only for ourselves, but for the world. But as we close this program, we'll get a little more practical even and talk a little bit about what it means to be committed across the long haul of that long obedience in the same direction that Eugene Peterson talked about. So stay tuned for that. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Dave Bast, along with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork, where today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of commitment, a discipline that certainly that Jesus showed uh, in his life. You think of the description of him in the Gospels, setting his face to go to Jerusalem. He just, he walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk, and he became obedient even to the death of a slave on a cross, Paul says in Philippians 2. So we want to try to develop that same kind of discipline of stick of setting out in the life of discipleship and hanging in there, continuing to obey. Uh, the question is, how do we do that? And I think one of the things we need to do first is count the cost. There's a very difficult passage uh, in Luke 14 where Jesus essentially is talking about commitment and counting the cost and figuring out what you're going to need to follow through. And it goes like this, Luke 14 at verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. 
Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Well, there it is. Uh, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer very famously called The Cost of Discipleship in a book that he wrote about the Sermon on the Mount, actually, mm -hmm. which has a number of other very difficult commands in it. But I think we should note at the outset what Jesus isn't saying here, because almost everything he said has been twisted by somebody. So when he says, unless you hate your parents, uh, you can't follow me. Unless you give up literally everything, you can't follow me. He's not saying we need to hate our parents or somehow we need to live the life of a hermit, each one of us. Right. Jesus cannot go against God's own law, honor your father and your mother, right? Jesus is not dumping that commandment from the list of the Ten Commandments. In the Bible, hate usually refers to loving less, right? Yeah. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God didn't really hate Esau at all. Jacob was loved more. And so Jesus is saying, you got to love me. You've got to love your creator and redeemer God more than even the people around you in this life. And you certainly have to love and honor God more than your possessions or your car or your house or your 401k. Um, if you love those things and rely more on those things than you do on the grace of God, that's a problem. So he's using exaggerated language, hyperbole, but he's making a real point uh, because what it means to sit down and count the cost of being his disciple, of following him, is to ask ourselves really searchingly the hard question, does Jesus have first place in my life? Am I willing to put him above everyone and everything, no matter what, no conditions, no questions asked? Because if I'm not willing to do that, I haven't properly counted the cost, and I'm not really ready to commit to him. He's not going to play second fiddle to anybody or anything. It's, it's him first or not at all. The point is not, well, sit down and count the cost and decide, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put him first. Are you kidding? That's too difficult. I'm, I'm not going to follow him at all. No, the point is he's worth it. <laughs> right. And it's a good self-check to ask whether you can really, really rely fully on Jesus. Even if the bottom drops out in other areas of your life, are you still committed? It reminds me, there was a denomination of churches in Canada that had a major lawsuit brought against them, and it went badly. It went against them. They lost their churches. They lost their property. They lost all the outward signs of the church. And somebody asked one of the pastors or maybe one of the bishops in this denomination, what are you going to do now? And he said, well, you know, if we just have a little bread, a little wine, a little water, and a table, uh, we can continue on with our ministry right. of, of word and sacrament. That's keeping your eyes on Jesus, which reminds us, uh, Dave, of a passage from Hebrews. How do we stay committed? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. This wonderful reminder from Hebrews 12, the first few verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses— let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose 
heart. And that's the thing we need to do, Dave, uh, in the discipline and commitment. Every day you get up and say, I can believe again. I'm going to continue to follow Jesus today. Yep. Uh, we do that every day. As C.S. Lewis once said, how many people do you know who actually got argued out of their faith? No, most of us just drift away. Yeah. Uh, that's also from early in Hebrews too. Don't drift away. Stay committed. And by the grace of God's Holy Spirit, we're able to do exactly that. Well, thanks for listening to Groundwork. Today, we're your hosts, Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast. Join us again next time as we study scripture to better understand the spiritual discipline of Sabbath rest. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframemedia.com for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 